All right, I'm going to go live here a couple minutes early because our the hosting service I use for live streams is reporting technical issues. So if there's any weird hiccups with this, please let me know in the comments, including whether or not you can actually hear me. I had a hard enough time just logging in this morning. I just want to go live and do this. Um, and I'd also ask people in the chat to have a very lively chat about conversation about some things to so please use prudence now that we're live and on YouTube because our hosts do not like certain subjects. I'd hate to have my live stream struck because things people are saying in the live chat, please. All right. So here we go. Um, the modernists in charge of the church really don't like the Catholic church and they don't like Catholicism. That's been very apparent for a very, very long time. It goes back to the concept of the permanent aggiornamento that we were sold in the run-up to Vatican II. Aggiornamento essentially is just a fancy Italian word for season of change or era of change. You can think of it as the spirit of permanent revolution in the church. That's what aggiornamento means. We were told that the council would usher in this era of a perf, a ongoing permanent continuous self-reflection in the church on what the church needs to be to sell itself to the modern world, to leave its rigidity, its clericalist attitudes, its triumphalism behind, and see what the world needs and what it can learn from the world. That by itself should have been enough to raise red flags for people, but it wasn't. The church has not much it can learn from the world, except for basic things like, well, the world doesn't understand X, Y, or Z dogma, so we need to obviously learn to communicate the gospel to the world in language it can understand. That is fine and laudable, but that's not what they meant by permanent aggiornamento. It was be an ongoing permanent season of change in the church. 60 years ago, that was true. 70 years ago, that was true. And it's just as true today in the church. And we see this in these stories, the two stories that I'm going to bring you today, maybe three we've got some time. Um, I am feeling a little bit better from how I've been feeling before, but again, we're going to keep this brief because I don't know if that can change because yesterday the way I was feeling in terms of wellness was just all over the board. So we'll just try to do this for brevity's sake. So today we begin with a story from our Sunday visitor, which a lot of people are, were surprised when I told them that our Sunday visitor is a modernist outlet, because it absolutely is a modernist outlet. It's right up there with American Magazine. So their headline is, Synod on Synodality is Process for Becoming a Better Church. I would have no problem with this language of being a better church if that meant we were all, the, the reiteration of this universal call of, to sanctification and holiness the one of very few things from Vatican II that I completely support was the emphasis that a lot of the better folks at the council tried to instill in the laity that we are all called to holiness. We are all called to salvation. Doesn't mean everyone will be saved, but the, it's a call open to everybody that the universal call of holiness. I have no problem with that because most people have to answer the call, right? And if that's what they were talking about here, that being a better church means that the laity need to stop sinning and that the clergy need to stop sinning and we need to become holier. I We would have no problem with the synod on synodality. It'd probably be more of a, aptly called a synod on sanctification. But unfortunately, that's not what's going on here. See, we have Cardinal Wilton Gregory, who you can see there. 
in that picture, one of the great adversaries to traditional Catholicism. He was having one of these uh, diocesan listening sessions that we talked about here a couple of weeks ago. And he said some rather breathtaking things at that listening session. So for example, let's go to the article. Quote, The Synod on Synodality, a meeting of meetings as it has been called, is primarily a process for becoming a better church, said Washington Cardinal Wilton D. Gregory, during a February 4th gathering of the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities. The Synod is needed, the Cardinal said, quote, because frankly there have been times when the church in our modern day has not been truthful, welcoming, loving, and merciful. In a plenary session about the ongoing synod during the association's annual meeting in Washington, Cardinal Gregory said, this meeting about meetings is really the Pope asking us how we can re-examine our church meetings, ministries, administration, parishes, and even education so that we can be a better church, end quote. The language being framed there to frame what they mean by better church are the concept of being truthful, welcoming, loving, and merciful. And what all that means is the church has had a more has had moral standards that we have had as a sort of we've made people who identify personally with their sins in their lives that we've used and we've held to. And because we did that, those people did not feel particularly welcome in the church. Telling the truth about sin is a violation of mercy and love according to the modernists. If you're familiar with my series looking at Pashendi, I do this every other Saturday until we go all the way through Pius X's doc, uh, papal encyclical Pashendi Dominici Gregis. I do it in small portions. We go over the document, just one little section, and explain what it means. If you've been following that, you will understand why the modernists do this. As for the truthful part of all of this, what Cardinal Gregory is saying here is just a softer version of what we're seeing the German bishops do. In Germany, in their evil synodal way, which is to be understood as separate from the larger synod on synodality, though it is advocating for literally all the same things the church-wide synod is doing, the German bishops invoked the Ted McCarrick problem as their grand excuse for trying to make a new church. That's what they were doing there, and that's what Cardinal Gregory is doing here. He's just using softer rhetoric for it. The Ted McCarrick problem, something that Francis and the modernists have dedicated themselves, in their words, to fighting. Not in their actions, because we know that the various studies on this problem found a direct and uncontestable link between the James Martin sin and the priests who have those inclinations in the clergy and the Ted McCarrick problem. Perfect correlation. I read the study, the first draft of it, when it was presented in Dallas back in 2003 or 2004. Ted McCarrick at the time and other cardinals of the American church said no to that first version and demanded that the study propose the study be, but the university that put that study together rescind that data and use softer rhetoric. But that first draft is out there still. I wish I'd saved a link to it. I'd put it in my show notes, but the, per the correlation in that data is near perfect. And as a trained social scientist who knows how to read the data, I had never seen in the social sciences, a correlation that perfect. Only in the natural sciences studies that we had to read in my training did I ever see anything like that. But never in the social sciences. It was breathtaking. And they couldn't handle that truth. Note that those are the sins they're trying to normalize now. Which brings us back to the article. See, Cardinal Gregory here wants us to think about how we can fully live the church's mission. And what they mean by the church's mission is their version of the church's mission. 
this mercy and welcoming and accompaniment and dialogue and yada, yada, yada. You know the rhetoric, okay? Stuff's not Catholic, but this is what they're going to try to do with the synod. So, quote, that means focusing on how Catholics can live out the mission of the church more fully and authentically by focusing on Christ and his love and mercy for everyone, the Cardinal said. Adding that means making our parishes, diocesan administration, the Roman Curia, and our Catholic schools from pre-K to higher education have Christ as their locus. We need to speak with one another, together, one-on-one and in small groups, with an emphasis on Christ and evangelization, rather than remaining in maintenance mode where we have meetings for the sake of having a meeting, he said. I actually agree with him, at least in spirit there. This meetings about meeting stuff is just nonsense. The plenary session also included remarks and commentary by Julia Oseka, one of the other U.S. delegates to the Synod, along with Cardinal Gregory. Oseka is a student at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia and an active participant in various campus ministries. Cardinal Gregory explained that up until this one, modern church synods have only been for bishops. For this synod, which continues through this fall, Pope Francis invited, quote, the entire people of God to join the bishops, including religious and laity, both women and men, at even the most local level, the Cardinal said. The Vatican announced on February 3rd that 300 parish priests from around the world will be invited to Rome in April to contribute their experiences of parish life to the synod process. More than 400 people participated in the first synod assembly held at the Vatican in Rome. Cardinal Gregory said he has participated in numerous synods during his 40 years as a bishop. End quote. Now, Cardinal Gregory goes on to invoke the practices of the ancient church as his excuse. And this is what's... This is something that is worth exploring just a little bit here. I've invoked this a few times over the years when talking about this. It's the error uh, called archaeologism and Unum Sanctum Catholicum. The blog has a great piece on archaeologism. You should read this anytime you argue with people who start defending things like communion in the hand or uh, deaconesses or any of these other things that really have no place in the church. Because Cardinal Gregory goes back and links the early church to synodality, which is weird. But Pius XII in his encyclical Mediator Dei condemns archaeologism. Because what the practice does is try to claim the ancient church did something and say that it would be good to reintroduce that into the church today. Again, I mentioned communion in the hand. That's just one example. The reality is often modernists are just making stuff up when they invoke something the ancient church did. Or they take quotes by church fathers out of context and ignore what other church fathers had to say about such practices, like, again, communion in the hand. You find communion in the hand espoused by one church father, while you have virtually all the rest of them saying communion in the hand is bad and not to be done. Now, the modernists invoke one church father's quote on that practice while ignoring, again, what the others had said in opposition. And the same is with true synodality. Gregory waxes eloquently about the early church being synodal in nature, which is an element of truth to it, but he ignores the fact that the historic record shows very rigid and clericalist behavior by bishops and popes in the first centuries on matters of belief and the right practice of the faith. I'm going to give you an example of archaeologism here from the Unum Santum Catholicum blog. So he says, the author says, in his 1947 encyclical Mediator Dei, Venerable Pius XII warned against what he termed an exaggerated and senseless antiquarianism in the reform of the sacred liturgy. This preference for antiquarianism has subsequently been become known as archaeologism, and from the 1930s till today has been one of the most prevalent schools of thought and discussions about Catholic identity. What is archaeologism? Why is it so prevalent? Why did Pope Pius XII warn Catholics against it? And how does it promote a distorted view of the Catholic tradition? 
God willing, we will endeavor to answer these questions. So archaeologism is not so much a heresy as a fad, a certain approach to Catholic liturgy and practice. Its distinguishing characteristic is an excessive value placed on those Catholic practices which came earlier in historical chronological succession. For the archaeologist, first is always best. A practice or prayer of the, of the patristic church is better or pure than a practice of the medieval church. There's your key there. Because this is to be distinguished from traditional Catholicism, which typically wants to just restore how things were done in the decades before the council. Okay. This is them attempting to undo the medieval church by going back to what they claim are the patristics or the, the church of the fathers. Consequently, the goal of any true liturgical renewal ought to be to return to the practice of the first Christians in as much as possible, is the claim the modernists make. The modern church ought to imitate the apostolic church, is what they say. The origin of archaeologism lay in the liturgical movement in the 1930s. With growing discussion about how to more appropriately engage the faithful in the Mass, liturgists posited, among other things, a return to supposed apostolic liturgical forms as a means of promoting active participation. The thinking was that the centuries-long accumulation of liturgical gestures and rituals had become a barrier to true engagement of the laity. These accretions placed undue obstructions between the faithful and God, and in many cases were completely unintelligible to those outside of the clerical caste. Thus, in order to promote a true encounter with the living God, these accretions ought to be stripped away, back down to the simple, robust faith of the apostolic era, when liturgy was devoid of needless externals and focused more intensely on a personal encounter with the risen Christ. Therefore, programs of liturgical renewal were more appropriate that would move the church in this direction. So you see, with archaeologism, they used active participation and the early church as their excuses for pushing these innovations we've seen. Such is the case with this synodality, this idea that the laity are going to be in charge of doctrine and dogma through the census fidelium, something that got overlooked by most people when discussing the synod of synodality. But when we see this talk about deaconesses, that's how, what, how they're going to do it. This is the key to understanding synodality. And speaking of deaconesses, everything that we're talking about here is a break from the actual faith. And it's made manifest by Francis's bizarre statement he issued after the meeting with that lady bishop that I talked about in my live stream yesterday. Dialogue and listening for this new church is made manifest in this new statement. And I'm just going to give it to you in full because it's very, 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 very short. Surprisingly short for Francis. So from Vatican News, the BBC of the Vatican city-state, headline, Pope, church has not listened enough to the voice of women. We publish Pope Francis's preface to that in Italian that I'm not going to trip over. But its uh, translation is making the church less masculine, a critical evaluation of the principles of Hans Urs von Balthasar, which is comprised of contributions by theologians Linda Poker, Lucia Vantini, and Luca Castiglioni, who participated in the recent meeting of the Council of Cardinals that discussed the role of women in the church. So here is Paca Papa Francis's words of wisdom that dovetails nicely with all the synodal talk and how to be a, quote, better, more welcoming and inclusive church. The presence and contribution of women to the life and growth of ecclesial communities through prayer, reflection, and action are realities that we have always that have always enriched the church and indeed constitute its identity. Yet we have realized, especially during the preparation and celebration of the synod, that we have not listened enough to the voice of women in the church, and that the church still has much to learn from them. It is necessary to listen to each other in order to make the church less masculine, because the church is a communion of men and women who share the same faith and the same baptismal dignity. 
by really listening to women, we, we men listen to someone who sees reality from a different perspective. And so we are led to revise our plans and our priorities. Sometimes we are bewildered. Sometimes what we hear is so new and so different from our way of thinking and seeing that it seems absurd and we feel intimidated. But this bewilderment is healthy and makes us grow. It takes patience, mutual respect, listening, and openness to really learn from each other and to move forward as one people of God, rich in differences, but walking together. This is precisely why I wanted to ask a woman, a theologian, to offer the Council of Cardinals a path of reflection on the presence and role of women in the church. Let's pause here. That theologian he's actually talking about is that uh, Anglican bishop. Okay, that's who he's talking about someone from a schismatic group that does not recognize the authentic authority of the Holy See on anything. Okay, bear that in mind. The starting point for this path is Hans Urs von Balthasar, suspected heretic before the council, and his reflection on the Marian and Petrine principles in the church, a reflection that has inspired the magisterium of recent pontificates in the effort to understand and value the different ecclesial presence of men and women. The final destination, however, is in God's hands. Let us pray to the Spirit to enlighten us and help us to understand, to find effective language and ways of thinking to engage the women and men of today in the church and in the world, so that an awareness of reciprocity and the practice of collaboration between men and women may grow. I am pleased that through this publication, the reflections that Lucia Vantini, Luca Castiglioni, and Linda Polker have offered to the Council of Cardinals might be made available to those who wish to participate in the synodal dialogue and deepen the theme of ecclesial relations between men and women which is very close to my heart. These are reflections that tend to open rather than close, that provoke thinking, invite seeking, and aid praying. This is what I desire at this point of the synodal process, that we do not tire of walking together, because only when we walk are we what we must be. The living body of the risen one on the move, going forth, meeting our brothers and sisters without fear on the streets of the world. May Mary, mother of the faith, accompany us on this journey. <coughs> and there you go. This was just released. I don't know why they just released it, though, because he gave this address. He wrote it back in December. <coughs> Excuse me again. Like I said, still sick. I'm feeling a lot better. He gave this address, but it because it, it was dated at the bottom there. You saw December, but it was just released by the Vatican just yesterday. So, all right, folks. Let's check in with the live chat here. Very lively chat this morning. Traditious Catholic says the early church wasn't anything approaching what modernists do. Was the martyrs like St. Ignatius of Antioch ecumenical? Definitely not. The only ecumenical dialogue he would have believed in would have been the please become Catholic ecumenical dialogue. That would have been it. The call to conversion. Part of the universal call to holiness, by the way, that Vatican II talked about. Well, the best thing to talk about at Vatican II. Gregory McLean, he says, sometimes it's not just dissecting these letters and people. You can sense in your spirit when something is off. Some things just don't ring true, as my dad used to say. That would be the uh, sense of the faith, basically. When you have a properly formed sense of faith, you may not be able to express why there's something wrong with what you're reading, but you you know that there's something wrong. And it's just that sense of faith is enough to protect you when even some of those whom we should be able to put our trust in are leading us astray. Raven Ray says the only time modernists use the word justice is for secular issues like uh, the thermometer, but moral issues, show me where they preach moral justice going hand in hand with mercy. You never see it ever, ever. 
it's a distortion of justice. Now they might try to say, well, the, the church before the springtime of Vatican II was dedicated too much to justice. And so we're just balancing things. I'm like, that's great, except that's not how it works. It's just not. You can't, you know, spend decades telling people about nothing but the mercy of God and barely mentioning his justice to make up for some time beforehand where now virtually no one who was around then are around now to learn the lesson. You just create a Christ in your own image at that point. Colby says Pope Pius XII condemned this error too. That was who I, that's who I was reading from. Was well, Unum Sanctum's blog was referencing Pius XII. I've actually gone more into archaeology in a standalone weekend video before, and I can revisit the topic because it is very, very key to understanding everything and every error we see going on in the church today. Anna says, we must listen to women in the church. A, that female theologian bishop is not in the church. Scripture says, let, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. She, and that they brought her there specifically because her job was to, once the door was cracked open, she leapt right through it and then held the door open to make the Anglican church what we see it is today. You're, I had former Anglicans in my live chat and in my comments yesterday saying that the Anglican church from the 1990s, when she came into their church, is nothing like what it was net today. And the changes they saw were why they became Catholic. Deborah reminds us the Protestants are into archaeologism. They are, yes, distorting what the practices of the early church were. Sometimes just making it up, honestly. Um all right, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If there's any further thoughts in the live chat, this is your time to get those in. Because uh, I will field questions as they come. Otherwise, we are going to sign off today for the all the reasons I have said before. If you haven't watched yesterday's video, please do so. If you need a good news video, um, I kind of have a sort of a new, good news video going live in about 20 minutes on this channel from the time that I'm recording this. Damien says, from Gregory the 16th through Pius the 12th, all these things are condemned, especially under Pius the 9th syllabus of errors. Right, and it's worth noting that uh, then Father Ratzinger described uh, Vatican II as sort of the anti-syllabus of errors. That's worth noting too. And as much as you might like Ratzinger, I, my position on uh, Benedict Sixteenth is that it's pretty clear that he was uh, trying to wrestle with the, cha the, the changes in the faith from before the council and afterwards. And he was trying to find a solution to that and had buyer's remorse about a lot of things. That's my position on Benedict. Um, but he did call it the anti-syllabus of errors at the end of the day. That's matter of historic record. The syllabus of errors, of course, is not something that has any weight in the church today, unfortunately. But may, one day, maybe it will. Robert asks, is that report the one from John Jay College? Yes, that is the one from John Jay College. You can find the first version of it. It's just astonishing what's in there. And then what's even more astonishing is that the, the, the Dallas Commission demanded it be not that they redact a lot of that information for the future ones. Why do you think Ted McCarrick and Cardinal Donald Worrell and a few others demanded that the information there be retracted? Think about that for a minute. <laughs> Colby tells me to get that chicken soup in. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I couldn't even get my like kids to eat anything yesterday. So we'll see. Benedict definitely got more conservative with age. Yes, he did. I mean, that's obvious, right? This is why I, I understand why a lot of traditional Catholics don't like Benedict much, but I, I can't go there with with others because it's clear that his thinking changed as time went on and he was trying to find a solution. And I can respect that. 
is syllabus of errors of Bashendi, the modernist playbook. It almost looks that way that those two documents exposed modernist errors to with such skill that they, it was pretty much that it almost looks like they used them as a playbook. Thoughts on Father Jenkins? I'm not a set of a contest. I like Father Jenkins. He's one of the few set of a contests I'll listen to on occasion, but I'm not, not a set of a contest. But I do respect the fact that he doesn't treat non-set of a contest like they're not Catholic. All right, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in. Make sure to hit like on this if you haven't, please. That would be greatly helpful. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.